0: What's going on Coastal? We good? Hey, my name is Steve Sherrill. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, it's because I'm really new here. i campus pastor here at Coconut Creek. So if I haven't met you, take a chance to introduce yourself uh, afterwards. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing in this series, uh, XOXO, Family Flings and Relationship Things. And um, it's always good to get like, kind of introduced for a message with Beyonce. That's the first time for me in 20 years of ministry, so um, so that's always fun. Um, hey, just a, a quick reminder, you're going to see on the screen, you're going to see in, throughout the message, there'll be a slide that's got the phone number, um, and that's a number you can text with relationship questions. We've been doing this throughout the series, and uh, we've already had some good stuff that's been texted in, and uh, you guys will, you guys will enjoy how we use that uh, here in the future. So feel free to, to text any of that this week or even while I'm talking for all I care. Um, so the last couple of weeks, TJ has been talking about relationships and really kind of using the interpersonal relationships, right? Kind of between two different people. We've talked about marriage, we've talked about dating, we've talked about coworkers, we've talked about um, conflict and, and all that kind of stuff. And today we're gonna shift gears a little bit. TJ asked me if I would speak about parenting today but i'm not just going to stick with parenting i'm actually going to i'm going to expand it a little bit and i'm going to i'm going to talk about raising kids because because i think that there's a lot of us um, that maybe aren't parents or that we don't have kids currently in our house and this message is is just as relevant for us because for all of us here there are kids that are in our sphere of influence and i don't know if you've taken a look at American culture today. If you happen to accidentally surf over to the VMAs on MTV just recently, like we can look at American culture and we can say, man, like these kids, they definitely need people pouring into their lives. And so we're going to, you guys should be familiar with these XO cards, right? Um, I'm going I'm to do a survey, survey before we get into the other XO questions. So I just want everybody to grab their O card. This is your yes card, okay? Get your yes card. Now, I'm going to ask a series of questions, and if you answer yes to any of these questions, I want the card in the air, and you're not allowed to put it down. I'm going to see how many cards we get in the air by the time we're done, okay? So hold up the yes card if you are currently a parent with kids that are still in your house that you're raising. Okay, got a bunch of those. How about if you are a grandparent, uh, aunt, uncle, you got to keep them up, remember? Everyone keep them up. to put them up already. If you're a grandparent, aunt, uncle, you got grandparents, okay, so you got nieces, nephews, grandkids, keep yours up. Everybody's still keeping them up. What about if you're a teacher or you work with kids in any way, shape, or form? I want you to raise your card. More cards going up. How about if you help out volunteering coastal kids? There, there's some more cards going up. Keep them up, guys. How about um, you have kids in your neighborhood? Raise them. (laughs) Raise them. There's still a few stragglers. How about this? You can't stand kids and you think they're annoying. Raise the card, (laughs) right? Okay, so what we've done is we've proven all of you guys had your cards up. So we've proven that this message, even though we're sort of talking about parenting and raising kids, is relevant to everybody here. You just committed yourselves to paying attention to this message. Now, I've only been on staff here at Coastal for like a whopping total of 10 weeks. Now, yeah. Now, the the good thing is that TJ asked me to speak about parenting and stuff relatively early in my tenure. Because if we had gone much longer and you had had an opportunity to witness my parenting skills and to get to meet my son Evan and spend a little more time with us, then all of my credibility would be shot for a parenting message. So it's good that we're doing this early. No, I'm kidding. My son Evan is awesome, and I'm a perfect father. So <laughs> now that we've got that all laid out. now In, in all seriousness, um, my wife and I, uh, many of you guys have met Katie. If not, uh, she's definitely my better half. We've spent the last 20 years in ministry, and most of that time, has been with, with kids, uh, with junior high, middle school age kids, high schoolers, even college uh, young adult career ministry. Most of our time has been spent together working with all of those different age groups. And so those experiences that we've had, combined with now being parents ourselves of my son Evan, who's in third grade, it's just really kind of shaped for us in our lives what's just become, it just kind of weighs on our hearts. It's something we feel a burden for, and it's, it's that younger generation, and it's helping those that are not part of the younger generation, whichever, whichever way you want to label yourself, it, it's helping us to figure out how can, we, how can we help raise up this next generation to turn out a little differently than what the VMAs demonstrated not too long ago. So this is something that's been really important for us. Now, we've been, uh, we've been having fun with these XO cards, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask a few survey questions, and you guys know what to do, right? If you agree, you hold up the yes. If you disagree, you hold up the no. So this first one, though, <coughs> I got, my wife held up this one for me on this first one. The reason that I want my kids to be successful in life is so that they will be able to afford the therapy that they will need because of my parenting. <laughs> Who's saying yes to that? We got some brave people like, yep, I stink, I'm ruining my child, I admit it, right? Okay. Um, I got in trouble with this one earlier. Stepping on a Lego while barefoot is more painful than childbirth. Where the, the men are all like, Yes. There's a few ladies that are doing it. Yes. It. You know what's worst? What's the worst is at night, pitch black. You don't know it's there. You're carrying a baby. You step on the Lego. You're trying not to wake anybody. Oh, I used to like Legos when I was a kid. Not anymore. So there's a great Lego meme. If you don't agree with me that it's more painful, there's there's three levels of pain: pain, excruciating pain, and stepping on a Lego. See, if the Facebook meme says it, it must be so. Um, Now, the next question I want to ask, uh, this one is, you know, get your cards here. Minecraft is from the devil. I don't see any no's. Oh, there's a couple no's over here. Listen, I think Minecraft, there's some cool things you can do with Minecraft, but my son wants me to play Minecraft all the time, which is bad enough, just all the time. The other part is I get physically nauseous trying to watch him play Minecraft. The screen is like, I, I can't do it. I'm like, Evan, slow down. He goes, but I can't slow down. I'm going to get killed by a creeper. Um, I, don't, I don't get Minecraft. I don't understand it. The graphics are worse than the games when I was a kid, and kids love it. It doesn't make sense. Um, well, just be, before we go too much further, can we, can we just sort of get something out of the way? Can we agree on something? Kids are hard. Kids are hard. They really are. And the reality is that the further we get away from our own childhood, the harder it gets. Because the further we get away from our own childhood, the more it seems that that kids don't make sense to us. I mean, it's kind of a natural progression, but it is a responsibility of ours to kind of step back and go, okay, wait a second, I remember, I think, at one point, I was a kid. But it gets hard. I have a few examples of of how difficult kids can be. And... Facebook is a treasure trove of, of snarky parenting memes that I've been running across as I've been preparing for this message. So this first one, um, some of you guys have experienced this. Not sure if I should take a nap or cry about being tired. I don't get it. Okay, here's the second one. Cute little kid, but evil. How do I put this? You will never sleep in again. <laughs> I did not understand this until I had a child. Uh, This next one, my wife uh, made sure, like, she threw this card at me today. Um, That awkward moment when you realize that you just punished your kid for acting exactly like you. (laughs) Some of you guys have spouses that are like, yeah, that's you, honey. Like That's the best is not only when you do it, but then your spouse goes, hey, you just yelled at your son because he did exactly what you do all the time. (laughs) Here's a, a couple of kind of, you know, other than the memes, we got some personal stuff here. This, uh, this next Facebook post is actually from my brother. I asked him if I could use this. He says, nothing tests my patience more than watching my three-year-old eat or not eat. And his son, oh, my, my nephew's awesome. But he sits there like with food and he's like, no, <laughs> not going to do it. My brother just drives him nuts. It's great. As a younger brother, I'm watching my brother get driven nuts. Um, so how about this? This is a friend of mine from a church I used to work at in California. Uh, Robert says, Never in my life would it have occurred to me that using a toilet would be such a horrific ordeal. But the way Abby's been wailing for the past 10 minutes, you would think that potty training was the worst kind of torture. Right? Like, really? You, you would rather sit in it. I don't understand. Like, what is wrong with a child's brain? When you're like, look, this is perfect. And they're like, no! It's the toilet monster. Kids really are mind-boggling. They are. They're, they're confusing. And now, if you're sitting here thinking, that's great, Steve's talking about all these cutesy little memes with little toddlers and babies and talking about potty training, but I've got like a middle school, like, demon in my life right now, okay? I, I keep trying to shake him, but he keeps coming back. It's this crazy middle schooler. If you got like an older child, I've got some uh, some explanatory but maybe somewhat depressing news for you as well. So, uh, probably, this is like eight or nine years ago, my wife and I, we were um, we were doing foster care, and in order to keep... Our foster care license uh, valid and current. We had to occasionally attend a certain number of hours of like continuing education, and so we went one time to uh, to listen to this child psychologist who was teaching on like adolescence, and I thought, well, hey, I'm in youth ministry. This will help. You know, not just the foster care stuff. This will be great. And so he goes on to explain that there's as children, and 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 we take these kids and we look at them, they're all cute and they do crazy stuff like the memes, and then. As they get older and they start moving through adolescence and they start transitioning into puberty and they start getting into, like, this teenage, young adulthood, what's really happening in that process is that there are certain parts of the child's brain that are really no longer needed anymore because there's other parts of the brain that are forming, you know, like this, like, cognitive thinking and all those kinds of things that are starting. Well, so there are certain parts of the child's brain in this process that are actually shutting down. Certain parts of the child's brain that are, that are dying off, they're no longer needed. There's synapses that were once firing for kids that are no longer firing anymore. Those synapses are shutting down, closing off, and dying. And there's other ones that are starting. And I'm like, well, that's, I mean, that's all well and good. Yeah, that makes you know, sense. But then he continued to explain it this way. He said, but this process of parts of the brain shutting off, turning off, dying out, synapses, closing, this is actually the exact same definition that we find in medical journals of brain damage. And everyone in the room went, he said, yep, that's right. As kids go through adolescence and puberty and teenagers, they're actually brain damaged for a period of time. (laughs) Doesn't it all make sense now? Kids are brain damaged. Now, you can't use this against them because remember, you went through the same brain damage process. Hopefully, this will just help you to kind of understand why they do some of the craziest, most ridiculous stuff, and why you yourself did some of the most mind-numbingly dumb things that you can remember, right? When you were that age, you're like, oh my gosh, I think back, what? I was brain damaged. You get it now. Doctor told me I was brain damaged. Mom, leave me alone. Quit bringing that back up when when we talk at family reunions. So you can't really use it against any of your teens because it was you too. Now I know I mean we're kind of having fun talking about kids cuz we got to just deal with the reality like we said the kids are hard. They're confusing, they're they're kind of, you know, m- baffling to us at times. But it's really challenging when we step back and we think, you know, as a as a parent or or a grandparent, aunt, uncle, teacher, neighbor, whatever it is that we talked about earlier that you are to to certain kids in your lives. You know, when we step back, we we can probably say, you know what, I I mean as crazy as they are right now, I, I really want. I want them to grow up to be like mature, responsible, well-adjusted adults. I mean that's what we want. That's what we're trying to create, especially if we're parenting right now. We're trying to create this thing that's here, the little child crazy, and we're trying to turn it into a mature, responsible adult. But when I look at my son, and I think, wow, okay, I know this is the end goal that I want. I want him to, to turn out this way, but he challenges my patience. He tests every nerve that I have. I have a phrase in my household. I'm like, dude, I've got one nerve left, and you are on it. And Evan is nine, and he goes, I don't even know what that means, dad. But it feels good to me. So, like, I mean, he tests me, but I know when I look at my son, as much as I, my patients are tested, as much as I'm frustrated, I look at him, I say, man, I want nothing more than for him to grow up to, to be this mature, strong, responsible, well-adjusted adult, so I have to ask myself, what's the best way to actually accomplish this? How do we, how do we get this outcome? And after spending like 15 years in full-time student ministry, um, I've realized that, that the one thing that I can do, if, if I want my son to not only have a great childhood, but I also want him to grow up to have a wonderful adulthood, if I want him to grow up to, to have this well-adjusted, mature, all those things that I mentioned, you know what I need to do? I need to help him to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. See, most of us, when we think about kids, we think about that annoying neighbor kid, we think about our own kids that are driving us nuts, most of us, we start focusing on behavior. We've got this little list over here of the right kinds of behaviors, and we have a list over here of the wrong kinds of behaviors. And any time our child or that neighbor kid does the wrong thing, we want to grab him, sometimes by the neck with both hands, and, and force them over here, no, 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 bad behavior, stop it. Over here, right behavior. This is how you're going to do what you need to do. We focus on behaviors. But in reality, if if I know that I want Jesus to be the most important thing in my son's life, then I need to make sure that he's going to understand some things about Jesus. I need to make sure that he's going to understand um, peace peace and joy, that he's going to understand generosity and service, that he's going to understand when he faces difficult decisions in life, that the best way to face those is through prayer. I need to change my focus on, rather than, than a list of behaviors that I want him to exhibit, on him becoming a child of God. So the most important thing for us when we talk about raising kids is not about them behaving. It's about them becoming something. Our role is to direct them, to lead them, to guide them, to point them toward our Savior. And I truly believe after the years of working with kids, now having my own kid, I truly believe that if we can focus on the becoming like Jesus part, so many of the behaviors will follow. And the ones that don't just naturally follow because we're just kind of messed up as humans, they're so much easier to teach and impart to our kids when we've got the becoming like Christ as the number one focus. So the great news, too, is that that the Bible has got some stuff for us. It doesn't just leave us hanging and go, hey, go make a fully devoted follower of Christ out of your kid, and good, leave it. The Bible actually tells us some things on how we need to focus on doing this. Um, This morning, we're going to hang out mostly in the book of Deuteronomy. If you want to turn to Deuteronomy, head to chapter 6. The book of Deuteronomy um, has got this, this great section that's going to talk right to us as we think about our role with kids. We're going to start in verse 4 of chapter 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your houses and on your gates. This passage of scripture is actually called the Shema. The Shema is a, a Hebrew word that means here. Verse 4 began with hear, O Israel. So they just titled it, this is the Shema. It's the hear. It's the hear prayer. And this Shema prayer is, is an extremely important prayer It wasn't ancient Judaism, and and even now for Orthodox Jewish people, the Shema is a prayer that is part of their daily prayer. It's one of the prayers that they say daily. So they begin this Shema prayer daily by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And they keep going. That's a daily prayer. I want to look at another passage just a few chapters away if you want to flip to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And in Deuteronomy 11, starting in verse 18, I want to see if you can kind of connect the two here. They're super similar. So Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. Okay, so now we got this Deuteronomy six and Deuteronomy eleven, and it's almost the exact same thing. I don't know about you, but I remember being in school, whether it was a teacher or you, know, you get a little older, you got a professor. Anytime they're saying something, and you're like, "Wait a second, that's that's the second time that they've taught that exact same thing." You're, you're thinking maybe I should put this in the notes. It's probably important. My teacher, my professor wants me to know this. It's probably important. The Bible gives it to us twice. Um, really close to one another too. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, so it's important. It's in the Bible a couple times. It's, it's the very same wording almost, and so maybe we should pay attention, but it's Old Testament stuff. I mean, we're, we're, we're Steve's reaching. He's going all the way back to Deuteronomy to tell me about what my role is in, in helping to raise up this next generation of kids. And so let me tell you, though, that in the New Testament, we actually have a spot where Jesus himself says, hey, Pay attention to the Shema. It's actually on the exam. Third time now. You heard it twice. You wrote it down. thought it was important. I'm telling you now, third time. It's on the test. This is super important. So Jesus, uh, we're going to look in the book of Mark, and Jesus is, he's in Jerusalem, and he's kind of messing with all the people, right? I mean, the, the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they had a good gig going. They had it made. And then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus, and he starts messing with, with this great thing that the, that the religious leaders had. And so they don't really like Jesus. And they're trying to figure out ways, like, man, this guy is messing with our stuff, like we had it made here, now this guy comes along, he's changing everything we've been teaching, and they don't like him, so they're trying to nail him, and they're trying to get him to say something, to slip up so that they can bust him, so that they can discredit him, so they can accuse him of blasphemy. And so they're sending wave after wave of religious leaders, and they keep peppering him with questions, trying to catch him in something wrong that they can then accuse him for. So finally, there's uh, this this last one here that's in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. They send this lawyer, but he's not like a lawyer like we think. He's actually a religious lawyer. So like he's a lawyer, but all he focuses on is the law, just like interpreting the minute details in the Old Testament, making sure that they're that they're paying attention to every little thing that, that God's given them to, to obey. So he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go now, and I'm going to see if I can get him. And he, he starts here um, with a question. He's trying to stump Jesus in verse 28. In your Bible, some of you, it might actually call this the greatest commandment. So in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So Jesus answers the question that this religious lawyer gives him of which is the most important command. He answers it with the Shema. It's the same thing that we read in the two passages in Deuteronomy where it starts, hero Israel. Now, Jesus actually kind of stops at the part where he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He doesn't He doesn't go on to, to do the impress it upon your children, do it when you sit and when you rise and when you lay down and when you wake up and when you're on the road. He doesn't go through that whole thing that we read. But that's, that's really no different than um, if you would ask me, you know, today, if you said, hey, Steve, um, what's, the, what's the best team in college football? Now, owe Thank you, John. So, so, like, being from Ohio, I'm going to say, well, the best team in college football is the Ohio State Buckeyes, right? And there's some of you that are like, Now, I'm not going to sit here and go, well, you know, the best team in college football is the Ohio State Buckeyes because they're the defending national champions, and they've got the best coach, and they've got, like, three quarterbacks that are better than your team's quarterbacks, and and they've got a great defense, and they, you know, I could list all the reasons that you're, like, going, I don't like this guy anymore. I could list all these reasons why Ohio State's the best team, but I could just say, well, Ohio State's the best team, and and those are sort of a given, right? That's what Jesus does here. When the guy says, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, well, it's the Shema. You guys all know it. He's talking to, he's in Jerusalem talking to Jewish people and all the Jewish leaders. So they are all these people that are actually the ones who are praying this prayer daily. He says, so when you want to know what the greatest command is, it's that prayer you say every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And these people know because they say it every day what's coming next, right? And impress it upon your children. Teach them as, they, as you sit and as you rise. Teach them as you're walking along the road. All this kind of stuff. They, they're filling in the gap. That's like if I were to say to Susie, now this is a story all about how. <laughs> See that, right? <laughs> Fresh Prince. Like, you know, I don't have to fill in the gap. She knows the rest of it. It's the same way these Jewish leaders, they're like, oh, he just said the Shema. And it's, so Jesus now says, it's on the test, people. We've got the Shema. We know that it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And now, what comes next is it talks to us about how we're supposed to impress that upon our children. Now, I want to take these two passages, Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11, and I want to kind of smush them together because they say the same thing. And we're going to look at some, some different things that we could talk about from the Shema that, that is going to help us focus on this idea of becoming rather than behaving. So the first thing that we're going to learn about the Shema um, is that as adults, this, this is the first blank on your, your sheet, if, you, if you're a note taker, fill in that blank, starts with P, it's personally. Our faith has to be something personal. The communicator of God's word, I'm sorry, the communication of God's word must start with the communicator. So if we want our kids to become something, we have to become that ourselves. It says in Deuteronomy 11:18, 18, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. We can't teach others what we don't know. We can't expect kids to observe something as important in life if we're not observing that same thing as something that's important in life. How many of you guys with kids, you've got kids or you've had kids, used to love it when people who'd never had kids came up and gave you parenting advice? Right? (laughs) You're like, eh. I can't tell you, in youth ministry, I can't tell you how many times that that I'd have some parents that would come up to me and they'd be like, hey, Steve, can we talk? I mean, And they'd talk about their son or their daughter and they're asking me for parenting advice. This was before I even had a child. And I'm like, look, I know your kid well enough to know what you're doing wrong as a parent, but I'm not sure I have any advice of actually how to tell you what to do right. I don't, I've never parented. I've never had a kid. And even now, I mean, my son's nine and so sometimes it's like, look, I mean, you're dealing with like an 18-year-old making choices different than my nine-year-old. I still haven't quite gotten there yet. So we're, when we ask this question of like, well, if I don't have it now, if I, if I haven't experienced it, if I can't do it myself, if I haven't really internalized this myself, how can, I, how can I share it? How can I give it to anybody else? If we want our kids or our grandkids or, or the kids that are in our class or, or whoever it is, maybe it's a kid that's over in Coastal Kids and when you serve every other week, you're like, man, that, something about that kid, I, I don't know what it is, but I need to, I need to be a part of this. Whatever whatever that is, if we want them to know him, then we first have to know him. We can't teach kids about kindness and, and generosity and forgiveness and we, we can't teach them about all those things if, if we're not learning that at least and trying to live that ourselves. So if it starts with us, you're like, okay, well, how do I do that? Just if you're not sure how that starts, just start with some pick one thing that I'm gonna say and start with one thing. Just pick something simple. You know what? First, get in the Word. If you're not in the Word and you want your kid to become like Christ, get in the Word. If you don't know how to do that, last week in the worship guide, we handed out the the quarterly devotions. Find it. If you lost it already, there's some out on the table, I'm sure. We've got extras. Grab something like that, just anything to get you into the Word. You serve. Serve somewhere. Serve in Coastal Kids. Serve at Catalyst. We've got, we've got kids ministry. We've got junior high, high school ministry. If you ever think that there's enough volunteers in our kids or, or student ministry here, I got something to say for you. Uh-uh. There will never be enough leaders and adults who are willing to invest in the lives of the younger generation here at Coastal. So first thing is personally. Get in the Word, serve somewhere, start working with kids, join a connect group. If you're like, I'm still clueless, fine. that's today. I mean, you got a guide in, in the Worship Guide today, you got a small group guide, we've got a, tables full of small groups. Sign up for a connect group. Just get plugged in so that you can start working on yourself becoming something so that then you can impart that to someone else. The second thing, that second P is privately. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, talk about them when you sit at home. So, parents We need to strive to creating a place in our homes that is safe. It's an atmosphere that fosters open communication, that that allows for questions about God and spiritual matters. You know, there's times, um, there's too many days actually, where my son, he goes to school really tired. And that's because we sit on his bed at night and we talk about stuff. Maybe he just experienced something that day, or, or maybe we were talking as a family about something, or he saw something on the news, because I left it on like that split second too long before I muted it for him, and now his brain's spinning, and he's like, well, what about this? What about that? And where's, where's God here, and how does God think about this? And so we sit on his bed, and we talk about stuff, and then we pray together. My wife sometimes is like, Steve, seriously? And I don't care. You know what? I mean, having that time with my son is so much more important than him being awake in school. <laughs> if you're a teacher, I apologize for that comment. But if you're not sure where to start with this, this idea of of making sure that privately you're doing this, just start doing something as a family. You know, pray for your meals together. Pray for your child before they go to sleep. If they're little, that's easier. If they're older and you've never done that, they're like, mom, dad, you're weird. Why are you praying for me all of a sudden? Stand outside their room and pray for them. Do it out loud. It'll really freak them out. It's good. They're brain damaged. They'll get over it. But, but do something, start something small. I mean, just start a family devotion. Do it on Saturday morning when everyone's around or, or pick Sunday night before everybody begins the week. Just, just read them. Use the devotion guide. Read the scripture and, and, and talk to your kids about what do you think God's saying here. There's so many different ways that you can just start in the home creating an atmosphere where this is a place where you guys get to ask questions. And you know what, son? You know what, daughter? You can ask me about my faith. Woo! It shivers when you have to start talking about your own faith. But it's great stuff for kids. That third P, that third blank is for publicly. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, and when you walk along the road. So we've already talked about how it's it's private. It's in our homes. But it also says when you walk along the road. Jesus taught so many of his valuable lessons to the disciples as they were just walking along the road from one city to the next. You know, a few weeks ago, um, I was pulling out of the church uh, office parking lot. I can't remember why my son was there at the office with me, but, but I, was, I was going home, I was taking him with me. Now, it was one of those South Florida summer days, right, it's like 95, which for an Ohioan feels like you're standing on the sun. And in my car, my, my beautiful little 12-year-old Saturn, it has a broken air conditioner right now, wasn't a big deal in Ohio, really, really, really stinks here in South Florida, um, and so we're driving out of the, the church park office parking lot and we we drive past the there's an auto repair shop there and they do all kinds of like crazy expensive cars. And we drive by this yellow Lamborghini. And my son looks out the window like drenched with sweat. I mean, within like 30 seconds, we're both just dripping. And he drives by this yellow Lamborghini and he goes, Whoa, dad, I bet that car has air conditioning. <laughs> and so you know, I could have just taken a snotty little comment and kind of done the little, ah, come on, kid. Why you got to make me feel bad? But instead, I was like, well, you know, it probably does. Do you know how much that car costs? And he's like, no. So I started talking to him a little bit about how much a Lamborghini costs and how much that could buy, like, you know, my house or whatever. It's like, hey, there's a lot of money in that car. And he goes, well, okay, Dad, maybe that's kind of expensive. But well, couldn't we just go buy, like, a new car that has air conditioning? But it's not, it doesn't have to be a Lamborghini. And I said, well, you know, we could do that, Evan, but but if we did that, then then we would have less of our resources. Your mom and I want to have stuff available when God calls us to be generous, when God says to, you know, hey, there's some people you can help, or there's there's something you can do over here with some of your finances. And so I started talking to Evan about why why I was not going to go buy a new car, and why it was okay. Let's just, you know what? This car's fine. This car, everything on this car works, except for the air, but But maybe we'll just wait a little bit, a few weeks, and and we'll we'll save up a little bit of money, and we'll actually get the air conditioning fixed since the rest of the car is fine. And that way it'll leave more of our resources so that we can be generous when God calls us to. I was really surprised at this point that my son didn't, you know, whip out another argument. And he says, you know what, Dad? It's really hot here. But your idea sounds better than mine. And it was, it's just, it was one of those opportunities, it was, just, it was just in the middle of the day, where I had an opportunity to make faith something real, to turn a, an everyday discussion into something about why I make the decisions I make with our money, and why I'm not buying a new car, why we're waiting just a little longer to sweat and get the A.C. fixed. It's the little everyday conversations that make such a huge difference in the lives of the younger generation. That fourth line, that fourth P that you have uh, stands for persistently. Deuteronomy 11.9 says, when you lie down and when you get up. So what this is telling us, you know, parents, it's for you, it's for anyone who comes in contact with kids in this world. We have to verbally and non-verbally communicate the importance of loving and obeying God day and night. That's what this is saying. What it's telling us is that there's no turning it off. When it says when you lie down and when you get up, what it's saying is you can't turn off your faith. You don't get to turn it off when you leave the house and go to work. You don't get to turn it off on the golf course. You don't get to turn it off when you're on the phone with the utility company. I swear, utilities, phone, cable, internet, they train their phone workers to anger you. And your kids are watching how you're handling it. So we're told, don't turn it off. Not too many years ago, I was playing in a recreational basketball league. It was hosted by uh, the church that I was working at as a youth pastor. And I'm a bit competitive when it comes to sports. And I was on a team in this rec league that really, really stunk. We had played like eight games, we'd lost all eight to this point. We're finally in the ninth game, and we're playing a team that we could actually beat. Okay? I mean, it was like it was a good game, back and forth, lead changing, all that stuff. We're getting down to the wire, getting down toward the end of the game. There's just a few seconds left, and the referee makes a call that was absolutely horrible. I mean, it was nowhere close to being the right call. He completely blew it, it was, it was ugly, and it cost us the game. And I was mad. I was angry, and I let the referee know it. And I let the referee know it very loudly. I let the referee know it in such a way that everybody in the entire gym was a party to my tirade. I was in my car on the way home after this and I got about halfway home and I turned around. I headed back to the school that we were playing in. I walked into the gym, waited. It was almost halftime of the next game and I waited till halftime. And the referee's standing out at midcourt and I walk right out to midcourt where the referee's standing and I apologize to him. I said to him, I said, hey man, you made the wrong call. (laughs) I mean, I told you I was competitive, come on. I said, hey, you made the wrong call. It's part of the game though. I made the wrong call too. I blew it. I acted like an idiot. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. What I realized on that drive home was that I had turned off my faith. (laughs) Remember, I was the youth pastor at the church that was hosting the basketball league. I had turned off my faith. And allowed myself just to be the basketball player and to be upset about losing and to be upset about a blown call. I apologize to him. The, the next week, this is great. The next week he comes up and tells me, he goes, hey, man, I used you as an example in my Bible study. I was like, okay. <laughs> I can just see it. Like, hey, I was reffing for this guy that's a youth pastor at a church, and look what he did. Um, but you know, we can get upset. I can, I can be mad about a call. I can, I can firmly believe, which I do to this day, that it was the wrong call and it blew the game and it would have been the only time we could have won that season. I can, I can feel all those ways, but I don't have the opportunity to turn it off because they're watching. There isn't a time where we get to act as if the younger generation doesn't notice what we do and how we live our lives. That last blank that's on your notes, uh, it's a V for Visually. Now, if any of you guys have your OCD alarms going off right now and you're like, wait a second, Steve, you just did four Ps and now you're throwing a V at the bottom, it's just so that maybe you'll pay attention. Like, I get it. I have to eat my Skittles in the correct color order or my day is ruined. But maybe if that's you, if you're like me, you'll be like, okay, I'm actually going to remember this because the guy didn't do five Ps. So we've got this instruction that's in the Shema. And it says this in Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. It says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In ancient Judaism, they actually had tassels that hung from their cloak, and there was a certain number of knots in those tassels that reminded them of all the laws that they had been given, that had been handed down from God. And so this was, they wore the tassels. You guys might have, you, you may have seen some Orthodox Jews even to this day who wear the tassels. It's the same thing. It's the same number of knots. is to remind them of the laws that God had given them. So what does that mean for us today? Because we don't go around wearing cloaks with tassels hanging off. But when we talk about visually, there's two, couple important things here. In my house, if you were to come into to our house, right in the kind of dining room, living room area, it's, it's, you can't walk anywhere in our house really without passing this, this spot. On the wall, we've got two words, and they're cut like out of pretty letters and wood. I don't know. I'm bad at explaining decorative things. But one of the words says faith, and one of the words says Family. There's a, we didn't just go buy it at Target because they looked cool. My wife and I said, you know what? These are things that we want our family to demonstrate. We want our son to know that the two most important things for us, it's our faith and it's our family. It's, it's like tying a tassel. It's like the ancient Jews that had the tassels. I've got on one of these coastal bracelets that's floating around. I see a bunch of you guys wearing them and on it it says pray first. It's like, this is like my tassel. It's like what the scripture says, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads. Now these are some sort of Concrete examples, having faith and family in my house, having a bracelet that reminds me to pray first and to think about my faith. But it's more than just the tangible kinds of stuff like this. Yesterday was the third time that I've had the opportunity to bring my son to the adopt-a-block outreach that Coastal does in Your City. And And I do that because, number one, I want him to see with his own two eyes. I want him to visually see his mother and his father serving God. I want him to see the other adults that are there serving God. I want him to see the generosity of the fact that we're giving out free hot dogs. We're not cooking and charging. I'm trying to get him to see everything. I love there, there's some other families that are active in our Adopt-A-Block outreach that bring their kids that are about Evan's age. I love that he gets to see with his own two eyes other kids his age giving of their time on a Saturday to serve. This whole idea of a visual It's really us trying to create whatever opportunity we can for the younger generation, whether they're our kids or not, to see us serving God. A a leadership expert named John Maxwell, he he makes this comment. He says that experts in the field of communication say that learning is 89% visual, 10% auditory, and 1% through other senses. Now, if he's right that, that learning is 89% visual, then that phrase that we so often want to use, do as I say, not as I do, and never been used that one or been tempted to, to share that one with a kid. Hey, don't don't do what you see me doing. Do what I'm telling you to do. Good luck with that. Because we know that that it's what they see, it's what we demonstrate that's gonna make the difference in their lives, not just if we tell them one thing and act another. So whether or not we're thinking about our own kids this morning or, or the, the kid in, in Coastal Kids when we volunteer or it's a, it's a kid at a school that we work at, it's a, it's a neighbor kid that I just want to strangle every time I see him because he gets under my skin. Whatever kid it is that you're thinking about this morning, I want you to, to think about changing the way that we look at our role with kids. And instead of, instead of us trying to accomplish some sort of change in their behavior, Let's start focusing on the the becoming part. Let's help them to become more like Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, there's not one single person in this room that has been released from the responsibility of impacting the younger generation. And for some of us though, we just need to get over ourselves because it's, it's weird, it's awkward. It, it, we gotta get outside of our comfort zone to, to, to really do some of these things that, that this Shema prayer tells us that we're supposed to do for the younger generations. Maybe we just need the courage to break out of that. If that's you this morning, if you're, if you're here this morning and you're thinking about certain kids in your lives, whether they're yours or somebody else's, and you know that you can have an impact on them but you just gotta get over yourself, Raise your hand. Let that be your commitment this morning that I care enough about these kids. I care enough about the generation that's younger than me that I'm gonna step outside of my comfort zone and I'm gonna be there for them. I'm gonna set that example for them and lead them into an understanding of what it means to become like Christ. God, there's, there's too much going on in our culture right now that, that will shape and mold our kids if we don't. So we ask you, Father, that you would, would you be with us, help us to make the impact upon their lives. For some of us, we might be sitting here saying, I wanna make that impact, but I'm realizing I need to become like Christ. And if that's the decision you need to make to, to become more like him so that you can have an impact, then, then choose that today. Because this next generation is too important. There's too much at stake for us to stay in the same comfortable place that we've been. Pray this in Jesus' name.